Cybersecurity is an orchestra of many different instruments. And then what were some of the surprises along the way? And he found a super easy way to hack into every single customer he had, every single company. Everybody will walk away happy um, besides the hacker. I didn't even know that 185 types exist. I think immediately in the first year of sinking into product management, I realized how different it is from what I expected. Who says tech can't be human? What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. And when we first started the podcast, we really made each episode all about the person. And we're going to kick it a little old school today. We're going to really highlight one individual person, where they work, what they do, and really what makes them exceptional at their work. And our guest this episode is Eric Avigdor. Eric is VP of product at Votero. And uh, I've been a big fan of Votero. We've been knowing Gianna from Votero for a while. Big shout outs to her and the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. But most importantly, Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure speaking. Absolutely. Right before the podcast, uh, I saw all those instruments in the background there. Uh, Lifelong uh, musician. How did you get into music and what has your life like been in the the music space? So musician would be selling me more than I actually am. (laughs) I've been playing guitar for over 30 years. I've been playing drums for the past few years. It's I I, I love that a bit of piano here and there. So it's um. It's it's always been throughout my life something that always followed me uh, in different forms and shapes. I love that. Same for me. I started out playing the saxophone and kind of experimented with many instruments, especially like the guitar. And what I've noticed later in life, I didn't realize this in the moment, but playing an instrument makes you a better learner. I think playing an instrument has made me better at really doing cybersecurity and learning about things like APIs and how things connect. Uh, have you seen any similarities that you know I've seen when it comes to like learning and even learning about cybersecurity? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the 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 focus on detail and noticing nuances of when something is right or wrong. It's it it all ties together, right? It's all hey, cybersecurity. It's you know, it's not a cliche. Cybersecurity is an orchestra of many different instruments, and and just seeing all of that come together and the nuances of fine tuning what's right and wrong is just like composing, uh, you know. Uh, a song or any any piece of music when you're pulling something together like a song and you're looking at something like you you do with product management you're you're bringing something to fruition you might be building something out of nothing what is that something that's always come naturally to you is that is that how your mind works seeing it having a vision for something and bringing it to fruition my background is technical i started up as an engineer and I used to run engineering teams um, back in Israel and teams in Italy and China and the U.S. And I used to travel a lot. And I think at some point I realized that product management made me curious because within engineering, you always think, you know, that you, you fully understand the broader picture, like the need, the bigger need. And at some point you realize that maybe you don't and you need to be closer to the field. So... 
moving into product management really made me realize like the bigger problem, what the, you know, the bigger problem is all about. And that requires curiosity and attention to detail and everything that I've learned from, from my experience with music and from um, other things I do like martial arts uh, that really truly focus your attention on fine grain detail and, uh, and listening to what a real problem is. Yeah. So what misconceptions are there with product management? I've known so many product managers and it seems like every time I meet one, they do something a little bit different. Sometimes they, they cover the roadmap. Sometimes they are working with the engineers closely to make sure that the product moves forward. And then sometimes there's a mix of both. Uh, but what would you say are those misconceptions or uh, misrepresentations of product management? That's a good one. So I think the, the biggest misconception is that everybody, everybody in most organizations expect the, expects the product person to know everything, basically. Um, and, and really looks for answers for every, any given problem. And, and if a product person doesn't have an answer, then, uh, you know, that's, that's an issue. How do we move forward? And as you mentioned, um, product managers are mainly broken down into two different types, the inbound type and the outbound type. The inbound type is really focused on how do we get the roadmap execution in place, right? How do we, how do we move the roadmap forward? How do we define new features and bring them to market? Where a market-facing person is asking himself uh, or themselves, well, I have a feature, now how do I get it in the hands of customers, right? How do I, mm-hmm. how do I market and position and message around that? How do I compete? And those are two very different views of product managers uh, product manager's view of the world. And I'd say that that's, that's been a challenge for years now where you have these two types and how do you make sure that they work in tandem and, and that you get great ideas and that you can actually bring those great ideas to market, which is the most fascinating aspect of product management that I find. And why do you tend to lean towards that side more? I think I found through experience that I truly enjoy the the customer discussion, the prospect discussion, the discovery, um, asking the right question, listening, which is something that takes many years to learn. And I think I think one of the one of the first things that a product product manager needs to truly learn and absorb is that humility that we don't know everything, right? That we we truly need to listen, we truly need to understand the problem, and then we can come up with a solution. That's an art. When we first met, you mentioned that you decided to kind of go up into the ranks of product management because you had a VP of product or a product manager as a boss, and they weren't necessarily that great at it. And you kind of thought like, hmm, I could do that better. Is that I I would imagine that's something that like every product manager has in the back of their mind, which is why they are so in love with what they do, why they always are trying to uh, progress the product. Yeah, so it. I think it. You know, for me, it even started a bit before that. When I was managing the engineering team, I went through a series of close to ten product managers that kept coming and going, and leaving and coming and leaving and coming again and again. And I always felt like they never truly understood the product. Now, going back to that humility that I mentioned a moment ago, I should have been smarter <laughs> and understood that. They probably knew the market better than I did, but my feeling at the time was that there was no true understanding and and that my product was not brought to market the right way, which is why I asked to move into product management, where I truly found my passion for 
finding solutions for big problems. And I think immediately in the first year of sinking into product management, I realized how different it is from what I expected, which made me even love it more. And I've been spending the past uh, probably 15 years in product rooms. Let's dive into that a little bit. What did you think it was going to be like before you started this journey? And then what were some of the surprises along the way? You know, I'm guessing that as a young engineering manager, you expect the glory to come with the stage, right? You, you're, you're on stage presenting everywhere and you're, you're enjoying the, 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 the moment. And I found that, but I found that only years later, after I realized that product management is not only about talking to an audience or educating an audience. It's more about listening. It's more about learning and sharing what you've learned from other people with a broader audience. But I think it took me years to get to that point. I found that I traveled much more than I was expecting to travel. I you know, spending uh, 70 to 80% of my time on the road, somewhere between London and Singapore and Sydney and, you know, and, and Vienna. And I, something I truly enjoyed the, and if we drill down even a bit deeper into that, it's not the travel itself. It's meeting people from tens of different countries and tens of different cultures. And everyone has their own view of how things should be done, both in, in, you know, culturally, but also in cybersecurity. And it's not that they're all wrong. It's that they're all right. And it takes time, once again, going back to that humility to, to, tr- to truly listen and understand to different perspectives. And on the note of listening, I think you have a huge advantage being a product manager, be a VP of product, really, in cybersecurity. And that's being from Israel. Israel is now the home of cybersecurity. And a lot of people from Israel that I've met, they speak Hebrew, they speak English, and they often speak another language. Are you, do you have another language in your repertoire that you speak? I tried learning Chinese once when I was managing an engineering <laughs> team. I miserably failed. I, <laughs> I got to a point where I could uh, say a blessing in a Chinese wedding in Beijing, but that is all I could basically do. So no, I, I speak Hebrew and English. And, and yeah, and you know, I think it's interesting because the Israeli market is flourishing, especially now, especially now with so yeah. many startups in the cybersecurity space. It's just incredible to see uh, how much, um, how many seeds are planted and how many ideas come out of that market and then become, you know, bigger companies and, and, and huge acquisitions and M&As. And it's, it's inspiring. Give us a little bit of the, the, the tips and tricks, the tools of the trade, the secret sauce that it is of being a person that's leading product. What are some of the questions that you're asking of folks, just so you know that you have that product market fit? Because obviously it's the questions you said in the very, very beginning that really matters when you're trying to understand, when you're trying to visualize what this future looks like. So what are some of the the questions that you would be asking folks in order to get that answer? Many companies build their success on an amazing product, which which is necessary. That that absolutely, you know, I agree with. A good product is necessary. Where I think companies fail and where I've seen organizations that I worked for fail or succeed is really in that intangible, intangible glue that brings together product people, engineering people, marketing folks, sales teams. That whole thing needs to 
drive towards the same direction, right? That whole ship needs to, uh, to, to work in sync. And if it doesn't, that's where things go wrong. So for me as a product person, my first concern when I, when I join a new organization or when I you know, build a new team is how do I make sure that everything I build is something I can explain to the sales team that can explain that to our customers, that can explain that to our channel partners, and they can explain that to their customers. How can our MSSP partners tell that same story to their customers? How can marketing go out and do thought leadership around things that are tangible, that there's actually an audience that's willing to listen to, right? So to me, the art of product management goes way beyond user stories and, and, and user personas and a really nice UI and user experience. It's that intangible magic that happens when you, when you tie together the whole story. I could give you a standing ovation right now because I think that is one of the things that people do get wrong a lot is they want to build or be the smartest person. They want to build the greatest thing or be the smartest person. But that doesn't always get you to the finish line that you're hoping for. I remember when I was first getting into cybersecurity, I thought if I had all of the certifications, then there would be no job that I couldn't get. But a lot of it comes down to communication. A lot of it comes down to, are you at the right time in the right place? How available you are? What's your current experience? Who's the team? And there's just so many other factors as well. And I wanted to jump into Votero a little bit because I know that, you know, you had a very successful run as a product manager and as a VP of product. And then you decided to jump into the content security space. What were some of the questions that you asked Votero? What made you determine like, hey, this is the great company that I want to work for? So we can dive into that. Just before that, I'll comment because you made it, you made a perfect comment about, you know, about the, the role of product management within an organization. And, and I have to add one thing to that. I continuously remind myself and tell my team, our success is not only our success. We can make other teams successful. That's our job, Right. I can make engineers successful. I can make salespeople successful. If I don't make them successful, I will never win, right? So, and it's important to keep that in mind. Otherwise, it just, I mean, you know, things don't work. Mm -hmm. Now, back to, back to Votero and kind of how I find my, how I found myself in this space. So I spent most of the past two decades in the identity and access management space. Uh, Initially with engineering, later on with, uh, in, in product roles. So everything that has to do with multi-factor authentication products, cloud services, single sign-on, adaptive authentication, access management, identity management. And an opportunity came my way, and it was in the content security space with Votero. Um, Has to do with malware, with areas that I had had never addressed in the past, have never learned in the past, made me curious because of, because of what Votero does. And what I found was just mind-blowing. I, I, I mean, even if we talk about how the company started, right? Our founder, Aviv Grafi, he sits in Israel. He was a pen tester. That's, you know, he came out of um, his army service in Israel. He was a pen tester. He was uh, auditing and providing reports for companies around the world. And he found a super easy way to hack into every single customer he had, every single company. And the way he did that was by weaponizing files. He took a 
file, named it resume, weaponized it, and sent it through email to an HR person. What happened was 100% success. Every single time they opened that resume file and detonated you know, a, a virus or malware on the endpoint. And it made him think, I mean, okay, so if that's that easy, how do I, how do I provide that essential content? Maybe that file is legitimate, but it carries malware. How do I provide that content to the person that needs it, but making it safe, making it 100% safe? And that's what started Votero. Wow. So, I mean, that's obviously uh, one of the, the themes that we see with founders. They are doing some other work. They see a problem and they say, wow, how have, has no one solved this problem? And, and working your way through the product and, and developing the product and getting all those folks into alignment, what were some of the, the surprising and not so surprising situations you found yourself in? So I think one of the most surprising aspects for me was the level of innovation that I think the, I joined Votero only four months ago and the, the, the deep and fundamental level of innovation that allowed the team to become file experts. We're probably the only company in the world with such file expertise. We tackle over 180 file types. I, I didn't even know that 180 file types exist. Um, and yeah. looking at the ability to completely disarm and dismantle threat from so many file types and reconstruct the file, which is 100% usable, and all threats are removed, that just super surprised me. Um, I, you know, I, I have to admit, one of the things that, that amazed me is that, you know, everybody's talking now about ChatGPT and how that is used and everybody's trying to, to use it for um, the latest and greatest cybersecurity feature. Votero has been leveraging machine learning way before ChatGPT was even a thing, right? For over two years, we've been training machine learning models on macros, for example. And just to give you a minute, interesting example, when we look at files and content, we don't look at, we don't search for bad. We don't try to detect something with a known bad signature, like an antivirus would. We don't search for malicious content. We search for the good parts. We, we search for the good pieces, the, the, the useful and the good content, text, images, macros, and what we learned is how to extract that good content, place it in a new fresh template and deliver it as safe content. And what we've been doing is instead of searching for malicious macros or blocking macros, like some of the big players would do, we actually search for the good macros. We've trained machine learning models to find those and pass them on. If that finance person needs an Excel spreadsheet with usable macros, let them have it. They should. We should never block that stuff. I'm going to jump in for a second and share some details that I learned about Votero when Eric and I first met. When we met, we spoke about files, data and content, really the lifeblood of any business. So naturally, we receive files and our employees are bound to open up files, which could lead to compromise of your network or even worse, tarnish your company's reputation. Luckily for us, there is a solution that can prevent all of this. Meet Votero Cloud your team's way to confidently open files that are safe, 
sanitized, and free of threats. Votero is built on zero trust principles, sanitizing every incoming file, removing both known and unknown threats. The best part, after sanitization, the file remains fully functional to ensure that your team's productivity never slows down. Head over to votero.com slash Hacker Valley to sign up for a free 30-day trial of Votero Cloud and see it for yourself. That's V-O-T-I-R-O.com forward slash Hacker Valley. They'll help you not leave security to chance. Now let's jump back into the episode. You know what I love about that? When me and Chris were still living in California, I remember us being at a meetup. And there was some researchers that came and they shared this vulnerability that was in most applications when it came to processing subtitles. And I thought that was really interesting because like as a movie watcher, I don't want to be popped through a movie and because the subtitles were contaminated with malware. But in a perfect world, I'd still be able to watch the movie and it would be a clean file and everybody would walk away happy um, besides the hacker. Um, and I would still not have, you know, my movie player blocked. Maybe EDR would do that if it saw that, hey, your VLC player is now playing and trying to execute shellcode. Um, so you don't want to block the application all the time. You sometimes want to leave that clean, um, those clean artifacts so it's still useful. What has been one of those success stories that you've seen at your time at Votero where you really got to see the product at work, where it was something malicious, but maybe it was something that you still wanted to see with your own two eyes? So there's actually a pretty amazing story. Uh, We came across a very large financial institution, don't want to name by name for obvious reasons. Um, And they came to us after being breached. Um, And the story is super interesting. So what happened is their legal team was using a third party contractor for contracts, Um, legal firm, third party legal firm. And that legal firm was continuously creating contracts for for this financial institution. And unknowingly, one of the templates that this law firm was using, that template was weaponized. They did not know that. Mm. Hackers found way to basically embed that template into that um, third-party contractor. And they now used that for every single contract they created. Now, imagine Mm. how deep that goes and... That financial institution is now receiving a contract. Great. They sign it. It's all good. It now finds its way into into, uh, cloud storage and different SaaS applications. And it's slacked over. It's via Slack and sent over email as attachments. And now this weaponized file is everywhere. That is the story of the file lifecycle, right? You download an email attachment. And the next thing you do is you upload it into Salesforce or ServiceNow or you Slack it to someone. That financial institution was hacked because of that weaponized document. And that weaponized document, I mean, that legal firm didn't even know it was weaponized. The Votero came in and we put in place the ability to sanitize every email attachment and sanitize web downloads through a browser and sanitize uh, content that's being uploaded into a portal. And by doing that, what we do is we keep, um, we keep the company safe. We keep content safe. And how does that work in directionality? Is it always inbound when they're doing these checks? Is it also outbound? Is it also lateral uh, movement as well? So the nice piece is that we integrate as a layer seven um, uh, API-based product. 
we can integrate with content wherever it resides, right? So we are, we, the reason we call ourselves zero trust content security is because what zero trust, which comes from the identity space is all about is truly fine grain conditional access, right? So sitting very close to what you're trying to access. And in the context of files, we don't integrate at the at the endpoint level, like an antivirus, or we're not an EDR, or we don't integrate at the network level. We sit at every single point where files exist. So, for example, we'd be looking at email attachments, at attachments in collaboration tools. We integrate with SaaS applications. We'd be integrating with file storage, cloud storage. Wherever the file comes in or goes out, it can be sanitized and in both directions. So if you think about it from a zero trust perspective, we not only don't trust any file, we sanitize, and we do that at every single point where files exist throughout the file lifecycle. I love the idea of zero trust. I love the philosophies. When I am the security practitioner, when I'm the end user, though, I do feel like at times, and I think the the whole world feels that like this in some regard when things aren't set up in an ideal way, that security and productivity are at odds. Because there's zero trust, now I have to go through layers and layers and layers of verification to verify I am who I say I am. Um, what, what have you seen from you know, your perspective working at Votero uh, about security and productivity collaboration being at odds? That, that is the definition of the problem we're out to solve, which is how do you deliver safe files with a focus on deliver? Right. We want to deliver the safe files, not only making them safe, but actually delivering them. So and we you know the, the way we say that is basically we we allow safe files to be delivered at the speed of business. So let's talk about what that means, because it means two super important things. The first thing is, you know, if we think about kind of the legacy approach, antivirus, sandboxing, you're receiving a file. It's. Maybe there's a false positive, it's, it's blocked. Now you need to go beg your IT team to, to release that file, right? Or a file is suspicious, it's being sandboxed. So once again, you're chasing the IT and SOC team to, to actually release that file from being quarantined. With technologies like Votero, where we sanitize files on the fly in real time, there is no quarantine. You don't quarantine files, you don't block files. Every file passes unless we unless we unless we recognize a known bad signature, which in I mean, if that's the case, of course, we need to block it. Every other file which is deemed suspicious is sanitized in real time and passes on. Now, what that solves is two huge usability issues. The first one is the user experience on the on the end user. No files are blocked. Every file is passed on. So that's that's from a user perspective. But the second one, which is somewhat less spoken about, is the CISO fatigue, the SOC alert fatigue, right? The SOC teams are overwhelmed with false positives, with, with so many alarms um, shooting off. And, you know, there's a statistic that says that only 20% of alerts are actually, actually addressed. What Votero right. does is because we sanitize, we don't block, we don't quarantine, that removes a lot of noise in, in the SOC. So basically the SOC team is now, you know, freed up to deal with what truly matters and not with 2000 requests per day to, to release a file. 
one area that I think you could help help our listeners out a lot with is engineering is often a precursor to working on a product team. I've, I've worked with a lot of product managers, VP of products that came from an engineering background, and a lot of our audience are cybersecurity engineers. What would be that one piece of advice for that you would recommend to someone for them when they're thinking about switching from engineering to product? So back to humility. Um, and that's a, it, that's a lesson hard learned. Um, most engineers believe that they, well, they do know a lot about the product, obviously. I mean, I, you know, as an engineer, I can say that. And sometimes that leads you to also believe that you fully understand the market and the market need and the use cases and the pain points. And that is not true. Those are two very, diff- two diff- two very different things. So I'd say as an engineering person moving into product management, you, you, know, you definitely have an advantage because that technical acumen gives you a whole lot of credibility when you sit in front of a security team or an IT team. Don't abuse that knowledge, right? Mm. Use it in order to, be, to, to listen better, to better understand the problem and, and, and to provide better solutions. But don't assume that by knowing the product better, you know what the, what the challenges and use cases truly are out there. It's all about listening. Building anything is all about listening to yourself, to others, to the industry. Eric, thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us. Uh, if anybody is curious about Botero or Eric, wherever you're enjoying this, drop down into the show notes below and get more information there. And with that, we will see everyone next time.